Good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, can you please open your uh, Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? We're going to continue. We've come as far as verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, please raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We need a couple over here. Great. Um, any others? Please don't be shy. Raise your hand. Everybody else got their sword? All right. Good. And te- or technology sword, whichever. I keep saying I'm waiting for those apps to make page turner sounds. For, there's nothing pastors like to hear more than sounds in the Bible, pages turn. And when uh, those apps are quiet, we're like, are you turning? Are you, you know? Well, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for just uh, drawing us all together here this morning to come and to hear your word, to once again understand all that you want to um, reveal to us, Lord. We pray that our hearts would be right, our Our ears would be attentive, Lord. Our minds would be calmed by your spirit. And that, Lord, you would pour out a fresh, just anointing upon each and every one of us. A calmness, Lord. Take away any anxieties, any depressions, Lord. We just pray, just remove any of those things, any tiredness, that we can be completely focused on what you want to speak to our hearts here today. Lord, we know as we read 1 Corinthians, we're reading about a church, Lord. And just like the body of Christ gathered, it's possible that any one of us, Lord, without your guiding, without your leading, could enter and find ourselves into sin. So, God, we pray for protection here this morning. We pray for our brothers and sisters, pray for others, and that, God, your word may have just a beautiful place sealed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts here this morning. We pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. As some of you know, we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. As you've been with us, we've been going line by line and verse by verse. Um, God has been speaking to a church in Corinth that has been struggling with sin, that has been wrestling with doing what's right in their own eyes. Not uncommon from what we read in most of our Bible, getting drunk at the... uh, you know, communion or the love feast, uh, turning around and suing brethren, sexual immorality, all types of sin that we've been waging. And as we get to verse 12, specifically, Paul started to deal with the idea of these spiritual gifts. Now, I don't think that Paul just out of the blue through inspiration of the Holy Spirit just started talking about gifts of the Spirit. I believe because he was already there for 18 months, we know a year and a half roughly, he had already been teaching them. He was their pastor. He had planted the church at Corinth before he went on in his additional missionary trips, second missionary trip to be specific. So as he's gone on, he's turned around and he's, Chloe, who happens to be one of the parishioners, one of the flock, happened to reach out and say, Paul, there's some things going on in this church, right, that don't align with the doctrinal teaching that when you were with us, the apostles' doctrine and the word of God, Seemed to be amiss, obviously concerned for her heart. She turns around and sends him this letter. Paul responds. He now finds this place in verse 12 where the Holy Spirit puts on his heart to make sense of these spiritual gifts that were being bestowed by the promise of the Father through the Holy Spirit. As part of that, low, we can read very clearly in this, for Paul to bring this out through direct revelation, what must have been going on? They were using the gifts not in decency and order. They must have been doing things to draw attention to themselves. They must have been doing things out of order. Uh, We're not given all the exact details of that, but clearly they were not doing everything in decency and order, as we read in 1 Corinthians 14.40. Let all things be done decently and order, right? And we are to desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. We're to desire the gifts. We're to see the gifts manifested, right? But we're to do everything in order. So as we looked at uh, last week, verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. And he gave us the illustration of the human body, right? The complexity. Have you ever thought about the complexity of the human body? Just to begin to look at how uh, intelligently it's designed and everything that we see there. All the different cells and how they start out sort of general and then they become specific and and how God does all of this. And oh, by the way, did you have to figure it out? No, not a single one of us in here had to say, you know what? I want my nose or my foot or my pinky toe to look like this. 
It was all taken care of. It was all ordained by God in his intelligent design. Why do I bring that up? Because he's using the illustration of the human body, and he's drawing to the fact that they were getting caught up in a sin where it was heaping basically people unto them. It was drawing attention unto them to the point of where they were making it as though they were more spiritual. It seems to be the gift of tongues is brought out many times here. So maybe they were using the gift of tongues in a way that they were uh, sort of describing a maturity that they spoke in tongues and some of these other left, you know, other gifts were less or lesser that way or maybe, you know, not as important. Again, what, when we read between the lines, what, what is that really about? It's division. It's, it's competing with each other. It's looking at one gift. Well, my, you know, my toy is better than your toy, right? My gift's better than your gift. And that's not what Christ does. That's not what the church of Christ is to do right? The body of Christ. We're not to do those things. It's never been a comparison one to another, is it? God's never told us, I know in my life, he's never said, hey, pastor, um, you know, Matt, I want you to look to your brother or to your sister and say, you know, where do you measure up? God's never done that. You know where God's directed my attention? To him, the full, the perfection, right? That, that's where we all look at. And when we all do that, what, what happens? We all find humility, don't we? We all find humility because we are unified, as Romans chapter 1 through 3 says, in our sin and then our need for a Savior, our need for a Lord. And then through that unity, we begin to work together as the body of Christ, moving and flowing and ebbing according to his will and purpose. And what Paul's going to continue to bring out here is he's going to say there's one spirit. It's not multiple spirits. Yes, we read in 1 Corinthians 4 that the Spirit of God lives in us, right? And we understand that. The Holy Spirit is in us. And in 1 Corinthians 6, we read, yes, that corporately when we are gathered, the Holy Spirit is present with us. We, yes, we, we agree. Amen. But he's not using that to somehow be divisive or say, well, this spirit is better than that spirit. He's going to draw our attention that it's the Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, he pours out our manifest many gifts. And not just any gifts but specific gifts that are needed for the body collectively. Collectively. Did you ever think about that this morning when you woke up? First of all, waking up. How about that? Right? There was no guarantee. The Lord could have raptured us last night. How about that? Maranatha, amen? amen? Some of us woke up like, all right. We would have loved the rapture, right? Lord, come Lord Jesus, amen? I don't think there's a single person here going, no, I think I'm, I'm going to elect for something else. Absolutely not. We're all about the rapture plan. Right? But we woke up, our feet touched terra firma, the earth, right? The floor, wherever you are, tile, rug, something. And you stood up and you began to think, Lord, today, what is the purpose you have for me? There's no coincidence. The fact that my eyes opened means there's a divine purpose for my life today. There is no coincidence. God doesn't keep what isn't going to be fruitful or used, He prunes when it's no longer necessary. So that's not how God moves. So clearly we all have a plan and purpose this morning. He all has a work he wants to do through each and every one of us and a gifting he wants us to use. Did you know that when you came in, you were part of that corporately? Every single one of you here this morning, God brought you together neatly, neatly, and neatly, I guess you, I don't even know if it's a word. He brought you all together. Yeah, I'm not the grammar uh, theologian here. He brought us all together so that what? So that each and every one of us can manifest different gifts that draw us to a unity. And that's what he's pointing out. It's not about one individual specific gift. It's when the harmony happens is when the body of Christ gathers and the gifts are manifested with love. And that's what he's drawing our attention to. He says in verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. One spirit, one spirit, one spirit. He's not talking about water baptism. John the, Baptist, John the Baptist says, I came and I baptized with water. He says, there's one that's coming what? Mightier than him that would baptize with water and fire. Do you remember that? Speaking of the Holy Spirit, one that would be greater. John the Baptist of the last of the Old Testament prophets. So he describes that. He says, this is not the same thing we're talking about here. Right? We're not talking about water baptism. He's drawing them to the attention correctly. Verse 14, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, 
Is it therefore not of the body? I want you to think, why would Paul be putting this here? How sad that this needs to be put here. What was going on in Corinth, or dare I say in the church, that he was having to draw their attention to folks saying, maybe what I have as a gift isn't really needed here. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you know what that experience is like when you feel like you're not part of the body, you know? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God is set, notice that it says God, the author, has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. We see sovereignty here. We see God going before man and women and knitting through giftings and things like that. Supernaturally, the way he's even brought the body together. And it's the way that he pleased. That means there's no room for man in that. There's no room for man striving in any of that. There's no room for man to lather anything of the Holy Spirit up or emotionalism in any of that. Because it's up to God as he pleases, as he orchestrates and knits together. But that means that if he's the master and the master or the author is designing that, we must be what? Surrendered in that, submitted in that. That we would be yielding for the best gifts that God wants to use for the greater body, not just the gift that we might want, but based on our particular thought or opinion or need. And if they are one member, see that all again circle, everywhere you're seeing all, he's drawing them into unity here. Where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. So we learn here of the unique complexity of what God is doing in the body of Christ at any given time. Have you ever paused long enough to think about that? Right, I think about the days we're living. We have so much noise. He's going to describe noise in chapter 13. He's going to say there's cymbals and there's clanging, and he's going to describe all this noise. And when is the last time we sat still and quiet? You know, every once in a while, you know, I, I, I pray, Lord, would you have us to have a service, a, a, a prayer meeting, a time where we just come together one to another, and we just be still. How long do you think that would last? Before, some, <clears throat> you know, uh, squirming of the body, you know, somebody said, noise, there's got to be noise. It's how uncomfortable can silence be? And, and think about all the machinations of what we, I mean, the, the iPhones, the, you know, Google phones or whatever they're called, the same, all the technology we have, we're bombarded with it. We're addicted to it. We, 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 we are glued to this device. We are glued to these devices. And yet there are people sitting around a dinner table with us sometimes. And how often, have you, have you ever gone, I like to people watch. Do you guys ever people watch? I love to people watch. You know, sometimes you go to a mall, you go out and, and you know, uh, there's shopping that needs to be done. I find the bench. That's my good play. I like the bench. I find the bench. I get quite, you know, maybe a bottle of water or something, and I just sit back, and I just, I love to people watch. I love to watch the character and the way, and the, you know, how people do things, why they do what they do. I just love, and I pray for people as they're walking by and what the Lord may be showing, but I love those opportunities. And it's quite striking, you know, when I, when I went up to campus to even see my son, and, you know, even at the, the dining hall, I, they don't call them that, uh, mess hall, uh, the um, place where they eat, their, their, uh, Cafeteria. Yeah, I'll get it. Bear with me. The cafeteria. They get together in the cafeteria, and they're eating together. And yet, the phones are out. And they're like, but they're all sitting together. But they're really not interacting, right? Have you seen, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about? God bless you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's, these are the days we're living. People can be so gathered and yet feel so alone. So alone. Well, Paul's describing this body of believers that are gathering. They're utilizing these gifts. They're doing these things. But are they drawing 
attention to Christ? Are they bringing things into unity, unity or are they creating more division? And they're all feeling more isolated instead of brought together in a body of one spirit, the spirit of God. And I know that's hard for us to imagine today in a church. It's hard for us to imagine in the days we're living in. It's not, is it? Because it doesn't happen anywhere. Friends, are we living in the church age or the kingdom age? The church age. How do we know that? Because we read our Bibles in Revelation chapter 4 after these things. Meotato in the Greek, right? After these things. Talks about the millennial reign. You and I woke up this morning. Again, touch terra firma. We looked out. Isaiah 5 is very much alive and well. Those being called evil or those calling good things evil and evil good, right? That hasn't changed. Last I checked, Jesus Christ is not sitting on a physical throne within Jerusalem proper on a temple mount there where the, the, the millennial reign will be. The king will be on the rightful throne and there will be righteousness. Amen? How, don't we long for that? Can't we wait for that? I cannot wait for that. Well, as I'm thinking about that, I, I can't help but thinking, well, if we're in the church age, and the church is here, after all, we are all gathered and assembled, there must be a purpose and a plan. Otherwise, God would have done what? He would end the church age with the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians, right? And then what would happen? And then we would be, well, not us, we're in the mezzanines, man, we're looking down. Then the great tribulation, and then what will be ushered in after that? The kingdom age which we will come back with Christ. I just want you to think about that for a minute. The church is here for a reason. You individually are here for a reason. We're all here and we're all anointed. There's not a single person here that hasn't been given a gift by God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's not a single person that has not been a gifted here or been given a gifting. And that gifting, as Paul is telling us, is not to be used for us. After all, Paul had the gift of healing, didn't he? Could he, Paul heal the thorn in his own flesh? No, he couldn't. Who are the gifts for? The church, the body of Christ, others. Is that not what we read in the Acts? The book of Acts, spirit-driven, it's all about others-focused. It's all about living it. It's beyond getting these beyond these four walls, but it's understanding that as we're led and we're sent, we're also equipped by being gifted. And so Paul goes back and he, he, he talks about that. He's, he's, he's describing that to a church that's terribly confused, terribly confused about what's the priority. Last week, last Sunday, we were together. And I, again, I mentioned the human body, 37.2 trillion cells. That's what's in the body. And again, not all specialized. They don't all become specialized until later on as they develop. Usually they start out very general. But they all work in harmony with an intelligent design. Did you ever think about that for a minute? 37.2 trillion. You get 50 people together that aren't in the spirit of God and they can't do what? It's like herding cats. Right? But yet we're talking about 37.2 trillion cells in which God has done in an intelligent design that all work in harmony so that when you walk to the right, you actually walk to the right and you don't, right? Like the cartoons where one person's grabbing the other and, you know? I want you to think about that. Is that coincidental? Is it coincidental that God used that very illustration of the human body knowing fully that each part of those cells testify to the very intelligent design that God has created in human form before all of us, that it can't be mistaken or you can't help but seeing it. And if they don't work in harmony, what happens? We have a term for that. When a cell goes rogue, we talked about it last week, we call it cancer. He's applying this to the body of Christ. He's telling us that's exactly what happens when the body doesn't work in harmony and there's not a unity. It's a cancer. It's not the design God has. It's not what the Spirit's leading. The Spirit's not going to lead division that way or divisiveness. No, the Spirit's going to lead in unity. He's the one that gave us the example, the human body. We didn't pick that example, did we? We didn't pick that example, any one of us here. He gave us this example. 
Verse 15 gets right to the, the heart of the matter, but I, I just wanted to draw your attention to that so you begin to think of the complexity for a moment, the complexity when we begin to see the magnificence of God before us. Because of envy and pride, so much of the body of Christ is striving to be something they're not. He, he described a hand or a foot. If some of you are a hand and you don't feel like you belong, or some of you are a foot that way and you don't feel like you're, you're, you're you know, this gift, that gift, striving for one office or another, wanting one gift or another, because somehow you, they thought, and I don't know, maybe it's here today, I pray it's not, but someone's more spiritual because they've been gifted one way or another, or one office or another. That's exactly what Paul is trying to point out and says, that is wrong. And he's directing our attention to what it is. He's saying that's a heart matter, that's a heartitude issue. Right? Wanting one gift or another, or somehow thinking you're more spiritual. That was what was going on in Corinth. That's exactly what he's dealing with. Not thinking about the greater purpose, not thinking about their brothers and sisters at the feast table when they are gathering at the love feast, showing up late and then eating everything, or you know, not leaving enough for those that were less fortunate among them that were gathered at the table at the communion. He, he's constantly drawing attention back to the issue of their sin, and it's the heart Remember, he pastored this church for 18 months. It wasn't like they didn't have sound doctrine. It wasn't like they didn't know the word of God. What happened? What happened? What happens today? We have the word of God. You have the direct instruction from Jesus Christ to you that bears witness right in front of you. Every one of us has this. We're living in a time like no other. We have more Bibles more Bibles than any other time. Remember, the church is here for a reason. There's a purpose and a plan and a unity of what he's drawing. Where is this coming from? He's, he's, he's teaching them about surrender. He's teaching them about submission. He's teaching them about a greater purpose, that it's not about I He's teaching us this morning about that very same lesson 2,000 years later because there is nothing new under the sun within the church, within my heart. I don't know about you. I just can speak to my heart. I know on a daily basis my heart. Paul's correcting the Corinthians' misunderstanding. It might even be a willful rebellion. I don't know. We're not given enough there to tell. They were making a competition out of the gifts and doing it in a superior way, trying to elevate different giftings. And there are churches that today do that, right? They make the same error. I can think of one area, and we'll talk about it later in verses 29 through 31, but the gift of tongues. Have you been to a church where they walk in and say, if you don't manifest the gift of tongues, you're not born again, or worse, they turn around, or just as poorly, I should say, misquoting or misrepresenting scripture. We know what happens when you misrepresent God. It didn't work well for Moses. But what happens when they come in and say, well, if you're not spirit-filled, if you don't speak in a tongue, Paul's going to address that very issue in verse 29. He's going to deal with that very issue. Think about what was happening in Corinth. They were doing that. They were doing that. And if we're not careful, it can happen around us if we don't check our own hearts. Jesus told us to look at the speck in our own eye before, or look at the two by four in our own eye before we look in the speck of a brother's eye, right? Look at verse 16. Paul says that not all of the gifts, you know, part of the, are not all of the gifts part of the body. He's saying it's all, it's all Holy Spirit given. Nobody should be saying it's not my body, right? There, there's no reason for that. <coughs> Aren't you glad we don't all have the same spiritual gifting? Aren't you glad you're not all noses? You're not all ears? You're not all mouths? Right? Aren't you glad about that? Why? We'd be lacking in other areas, wouldn't we? Just be a gathering of a bunch of eyes or a bunch of noses. I mean, you know, just think about that for a minute. You know, we laugh, but Paul also teaches us here that we're not to be striving for the diversity of gifts, that it's the Holy Spirit that does that, right? 
It's not a work of man. He's, he's, he's not telling us that the Holy Spirit, knowing the needs of the body, will turn around and consult us about how to stir up those gifts. That's not what my Bible says or your Bible says, is it? No, he actually tells us that the Holy Spirit, God himself, he stirs up the gifts in the believer, and he manifests them in a believer that's surrendered and willing, that's willing to do that, right? That's why we don't have a hyper-charismatic, nor do we have a sensationist. We have a 1440, chapter 1440, all things done with decency and in order. Why? Because isn't it decent to love a brother or sister? And when God gives you a word of prophecy for them and you go up and you, well, what's that, pastor? I wasn't here last week. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. Well, but he who speaks prophecy speaks edification, exhortation, and what? Comfort to men. So when a brother or sister goes up to another you know, brother or sister and says, hey, you know, man, I love you. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. When he does that or she does that, is that not a gift of prophecy? Are they not comforting somebody? Are they not edifying or exhorting? That's where he's drawing our attention to. He's drawing, he's drawing the attention of what they weren't doing. But, but to do that, what, what has to happen? There's, a, there's an ingredient, a recipe that needs to be present. I mean, all of, us, all of us have cooked in here, right? We've all cooked something, made something, or should I say attempted to make something maybe? If I want to be a little bit gentler in that, we've all attempted to do that. You follow a recipe or an ingredient. The Holy Spirit is the center, right? The the foundation of this is the promise of the Father. But before that, and, and God so wonderfully in chapter 13, makes sure we understand that love, that character, that love of Christ is foundational. Because without love, you can have all the gifts and it will not be used correctly according to the word of God. I want you to think about that for a minute. That's why someone that is so gifted with the gift of teaching or a mouthpiece, and they're wonderful, and so, Pastor, why don't you put, or, you know, this person should be a teacher. You exhort them, you lift them up, right? Um, I'm thinking um, years ago at Calvary Chapel, I was attending, um, there was a guy, I mean, he just, he had a silver tongue. You know the term, or I think they have silver or gold tongue. And, oh, man, he, but without love, he knew the Bible better than anybody I ever met. He, he, he had it. He, he memorized it. He did. But it was never about building others up. It was always about dividing or drawing attention or it just reeked. You know what I'm talking? You meet people, it just reeks of them. And in the beginning, I, I always thought, well, pastor, why are, you know, my pastor, why are we not putting this man in ministry? And he says, do you want him to hurt somebody else? Or even worse yet, hurt himself? He's not ready. Until it doesn't become about him. Until it becomes about others. Then he'll be ready and fit for the work that God has called him to. It's a process. It's a process. And Paul's correcting them on it. Because if the heart's not right, it'll lead to sin. And God says, you have no part with us in that. Pastor, what are you talking about? Turn to Acts chapter 8 for me, please. Turn to Acts chapter 8 in your Bibles. I introduce you to Simon. Some of you are familiar with him. He was a sorcerer. You know the passage, maybe Acts chapter 8, verse 14. I'd like to read this to you. Now, we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about these giftings. Okay, this isn't talking about salvation. Simon, actually, we read prior to that, he had agreed with them. He made a profession of faith. So this is not salvinic. This isn't salvation. This is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about here. Look at chapter 8, verse 14 with me, please. Now, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two apostles were sent out. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is another example that many times you can be saved and not be baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. Cornelius' house, we saw that in Acts, where they were saved and baptized, and they also received the gift right away. They, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit right then and there. Paul talks about on his third missionary journey when he was going to Ephesus, he comes down and he says, Have you been baptized or have you heard of the Holy Spirit? He says, I know not what you speak of. He says, what were you about? Well, we were baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of water baptism, right? 
and then he lays hands on them, and they get baptized too. Well, that's the situation here. They had not yet been baptized of the Holy Spirit, right? It says it right there. Hugh then had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive what? The Holy Spirit, because they heard that the word of God had already gone forward in Samaria, that they had received the word of God. For as he had yet had fallen upon them, a P in the Greek, coming upon them, dunamis, the power, none of them, that they'd only been baptized in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. You can't confuse this. There is no room for eisegesis. There's no room for saying, well, wait a minute, maybe this means that. No, this is a very clear cut passage where it explains that times, there are times when someone could be born again, but not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We, We just see it. You can't, because he lists both of them out right there. You really can't miss it. For he'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's water baptism, right? When you're water baptized, what happens? You go under and you identify with his death and you come up and you identify with what? His resurrection, right? It's an inward It's an outward profession of an inward transformation. That's what water baptism is. So clearly we understand that it's comparing something different than the baptism of Jesus Christ, the water baptism. Then they laid hands on them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Notice this is not talking about salvation. They were already saved. And when Simon saw that or saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given and he offered them what? Money. Where have we seen that before? When somebody tries to do a gifting or a work like that, and then what do they want to do? They want to profit from it. That's not of the Lord. When you see that, whether it's on your TV or if you're in a church somewhere and you see men and women profiting, that's a a non-negotiable. That's a non-negotiable. If the word of God is not taught, that's a non-negotiable. If they're not demonstrating this or somebody's reaping or lording over or drawing people unto themselves, non-negotiable. Saying, give me the power also that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy something that can never be bought, but only received. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God How do we know it's not talking about salvation again? Because the Bible says so. The what of God? The gift of God? Because what? You thought you could buy it. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. What was the reason? He tells us right there. For your heart is not right in what? The sight of God. It's a heart issue. It's a lordship and a heart issue. So that's what we see here. You can turn back to 1 Corinthians. So one of the things that's an important ingredient that when we ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is we need to have what? We need to have the right heart, don't we? If not, we're going to be like Simon the sorcerer, aren't we? We're going to be approaching the gift with the wrong motive. The motive is not about receiving a gift for me. It's about, God, how are you going to use these gifts to bless others? And that's what Paul's dealing with in Corinth. And it all become about I, ego, right? I. Look at verses 14 through 20. He says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, right? He continues on with that. I actually just read that passage earlier, but, but it's important. If the foot should say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not of an eye, I'm not of the body, is therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would not... Would, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? He, he comes back to the same thing that I kind of was saying earlier. Where would we be with all noses, right? We kind of talked about that. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Not, no much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Have you ever thought about that? Those members that seem to be weaker are necessary. He doesn't say that we're to go up to those weaker members and turn around and do what? We're not to do what? We're not to come and turn around and go up and, and, and give them a hard time. What's wrong with you? You don't know this. You don't know that. Where's the love of that? Where's the love of God in that? 
That's not what he says. Who does the sanctifying again? Jesus. Who gives the gift again? The Holy Spirit. It's not a work of man. It's never going to be a work of man. There should be no fingerprints on anything that has to do with the work of God. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which seem to think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, greater humility in some capacity. Right? Modesty is a good thing. Right? Some of you may go to the beach, you may wear a bathing suit. Right? You turn around and wear your bathing suit at the beach, you wear it in the church, Probably not appropriate. Let me say probably not. It is not appropriate. All right? Let me just clear that up. I don't want to leave any gray area. Okay? It is not appropriate. Right? There's a modesty. Right? That's what he's telling us here. But our presentable, and look, that's never happened. We don't, I know there's nobody. But the idea is what happened in Corinth that God put it on the heart of Paul to have to write this down? I want you to think about that, how sad that is. The church. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having it given greater honor to that part which it lacks, that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should be, or the members should have, and please underline this in your body, or in your Bible, yeah. Yeah, underline in your body, because it's written in the tablet of your heart. No, underline in your Bible should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He goes on to say, and we'll read verse 27 in a minute. So what is Paul dealing with here? He's dealing with the, the sin of superiority. He's dealing with the sin of pride. That's what he's dealing with here. Verse 23, if someone feels they are hidden or unglamorous, right? Member of the body of Jesus Christ. God knows how to best bestow an honor upon them. Not, not a man or a woman. Verse 25, there are no schisma, schism, schisma in the Greek, right? Or schisma, if you prefer. What's that word mean? It means division or dissension. Dissension, right? Uh, think back to the, the illustration of the human body. Paul is using it here. Maybe somebody in Corinth was saying, I don't, I don't have this certain spiritual gift. I guess I'm not part of the body of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Doesn't that burden your heart? To think that somebody would say that, even in this body, this flock gathered, that someone would say, I, I don't have this gift, therefore I'm not part of this body? God forbid. God forbid. But this was what was happening in Corinth. Paul wants the Christians who felt excluded to know that they are indeed members of the body of Christ. Uh, this can also speak to the larger issue in Corinth that believers maybe not loving each other the right way not really being others-focused, not recognizing that Christ honors that. He will honor that. They were speaking, maybe they were speaking harsh words or opinions rather than the agape, unconditional love that God wanted, speaking through God's word as well. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 20? Why am I bringing this up? Because we have enough scripture that gives us the backdrop or the context of what was really going on in Corinth. And do you think they started out that way? It was the Apostle Paul. It was Pastor Paul. They didn't start out this way. The seven churches you read about in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, did they start out that way? All but one, but Philadelphia, right? Phileo. Right? Brotherly love. That's the only one that we see that maintained the course of Christ. The other six didn't. Did they start out that way? And by the way, two of them were the two churches that Paul spent the longest time at. Ephesus, three years, and Corinth, 18 months. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12.20? For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish. And that I shall be found by you as such as you do not wish. Paul wasn't going to compromise. Lest there be, what? and he goes through a, a series of sins, a series of issues here that was presented in the church. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, ambitions, backbiting. That's gossiping, rumoring, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. 
And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the, and what does he call it? He calls it uncleanness. He calls it uncleanness, fornication. He calls it lewdness, which they've practiced. Look, the, the church is far from perfect. But one of the uncompromisable or one of the things that we have to acknowledge is a commandment directly from Jesus Christ is the commandment to love one another. He, he basically said, when you boil it down to these two things, love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. I mean, he kind of gave us a little bit of a cheat sheet, right? I mean, we should be able to handle that, right? Every one of us can memorize that passage, right? Every one of us in here ought to know what that says. But we have 18 inches between our head and our heart. Has it changed and transformed the heart? Again, all the head knowledge is great, but if it isn't making a change in our heart, how are we any different? Are we just going through the motions? We, the bride of Christ, are commanded to have the same care. He said it right in verse 25. Look in your Bibles. He says that we are to have love for one another. We are to have that care for one another. That's a healthy bride. That's a healthy church. I think this is the challenge for every believer here this morning, not just in Corinth, but for all of us here, all of us here, to be of that same heart, that same mind, and of that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, did Jesus come to serve or to be served? He came to serve, right? Is he not our example? We ought to come to serve. You get, you, I think we see it over and over. It's hard to, there's no gifting of God that's superior to one other, another gift. Uh, no one's arrived. I mean, humanly, spiritually speaking, therefore God has called us that we must walk in humility. It's the antidote to pride. It's the antidote to pride. God wants nothing to do with those pride and puffed up. He desires the humble. Maybe even somebody would use the word, the you know, the insignificant. You know, that's what Paul was doing. What do you mean? We're, we're all feet. We're all eyes. I'm a foot. You're a toe. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Some of you might be like, I don't even know how I got here at this church. I don't even know how God brought me here, right? Lord led you in. You, you're here. You're hearing the word of God. He's placed you here. We already just read that the Holy Spirit does it for his pleasure. It was his design that brought you here. It wasn't a man or a woman or a friend. Yes, your friend might have grabbed your hand and said, come on, we're going to uh, breakfast afterwards or lunch afterwards or something like that. But you know what? It was the Holy Spirit that led you here. And it's the Holy Spirit that keeps you here. Because we're unified in this. It's one spirit. It's not about church shopping. It's not. I mean, look, you got to go to a place you find the Word of God being taught. It's, again, that's a non-starter. You know, non I get that. But if you're in a church where the Word of God is being taught soundly, how are we maturing in that? You know, how many times have you gone to a church? Maybe it's happened to you. You've walked in a church, you're visiting. Somebody comes up and says, hi, nice to meet you. You're greeted. But maybe it was only one person, and in your mind, you thought it should be, what, three or four people, right? Maybe you didn't feel loved. I pray that doesn't happen here. I'm sure it happens every once in a while. I pray it doesn't, but I mean, I'm a realist. We're not, the church isn't perfect. It's made up of imperfect human beings. We're not Jesus, amen? We, we strive to be like Jesus. We want to be by, like Jesus. Ephesians 4, to the measuring of Christ, the perfecting of Christ, it says in Ephesians 4. But none of us have arrived there. Not to the glorification, the point of glory, Right? So, if that happens, what, do we ought to, what ought we to do with that? We're the hands and feet. We're the members, right? We ought to take that serious. Every one of us better be looking for people when they walk in. How are you doing? Where are you at? Would you like to go to lunch today? Would you like to come over to house? Would you, you know, I mean, that's not abnormal. That is normal. That is Christ-centered by definition. Not to challenge anybody here. When's the last time you invited somebody over your house? for a meal after church? When's the last time you, you said, you know, hey, let's go get a coffee or tea? Or when's the last time you just said, hey, can I pray for you before you go? 
all the things you just put on my heart today, everything that I just heard, I want to come alongside you. Boy, I'm convicted. I stand before you here convicted because I know, Lord, forgive me. I'm not lining up with your word perfectly. God, thank you for your grace, but Lord, I desire it. I desire your love, Jesus, and I want to be more like you. Maybe some here feel like they've missed the mark. What do you do? Is it hopeless? No, absolutely not. You repent and ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so he can give you the gifts. You need to do what? Serve one another. Amen? He's provided a way. Beautifully, beautifully provided. Maybe you think, well, I'm not, I'm not outgoing. I'm not, I'm not ingoing. I don't know what, whatever the opposite. You know, you know what? Where has God led you? What is God calling you to do? How can you be available regardless of who you are? You are who God has made you to be. Your definition and thought comes from God, not from oneself. Your environment doesn't set the tone of who you are today. While it might have helped to shape you, it doesn't complete you. Jesus defines you and completes you. He makes you a perfect work. He loves you. He set you free. He has forgiven you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm afraid to public speak. Okay. Now go public speak. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Now, look, if the Lord hasn't called you to do that, certainly don't do that. But wherever he's gifted you, you go. It's not a matter of, I like it. He doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. If you agree with me and feel good about it, then demonstrate the gifts that I've given you. You won't find that in there. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you won't find that. Do we all really understand the definition of discipleship and true surrender? Do we really understand what it is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? A soldier doesn't turn around. They get direct orders, and they're to complete those orders. And it means many times they make sacrifices of family. They make sacrifices of location and job locale. They make sacrifices in so many ways, right? Our military today, for the freedom that we have, have they not been a wonderful example of that? I, I've never saw a soldier stand up and go, you know, I really don't want to be stationed here right at the moment. I mean, certainly they have preferences, but I'm going to AWOL. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn around and direct disobedience, leave, and, and the military say, this is honorable. This is beautiful and honorable. No, what would they call that? Dishonorable, because you didn't honor your conduct in that particular situation. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're sons and daughters of God. It's a higher calling. Are we not up, and has God not gifted, and has God not established that's discipleship. That's why he says, come follow me. And some came and then they went away and others liked what he had to say and they were with him for a time, but then they, you know, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. You know, they, they, and they went away. He says, the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, things in the air. He says, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Do we really understand discipleship? We want revival. Do you know how Iran got revival? Martyrdom. Six Christians were left. God rebuilt the church to over two million today there. And you know what? Most of them are dead. Most of them are dead. Syria, I meant to say, not Iran. Pardon me, Syria. Sometimes we, we pray, but we, we don't realize what we're really praying. We need to get back to the word of God and our definitions, our understanding needs to match up with scripture. It should be a transformation, just like when we got saved. It was not our definition of salvation. It was Jesus's. It wasn't our definition of lordship. It was God's. And it's beautiful because us that are, those that are born again believers here, what can, what can happen to you? You are invincible in the will of God. 
Wherever you step, wherever you go, whatever you do, you are invincible in the will of God until such a time that he's ready to bring you home. Did you all wake up this morning? Are you all here? Some of you still awake? Yes. Your eyes are opened. You're breathing. You have oxygen. There's a plan and purpose. Is it to divide? Is it to argue? Is it to be divisive? Is it to, to come alongside and find the differences and pick out the differences? Who speaks in a tongue? Who doesn't speak in a tongue? Is it, is it important to come out and say, well, you know, I'm in a fourfold ministry. I think it's a fivefold ministry. Is, is it matter more, oh, I'm Calvinist, I'm, I'm you know, I'm Arminianist. Uh, how about being a Jesus follower? How about that, a Jesus freak? I'm a Jesus freak, right? I don't, I don't really care, you know, where the Arminianist or Calvin, beautiful philosophies, I'm not interested. I'm interested in the word of God. I want to be transformed by this word. I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a chameleon. Paul's telling him, when I come there, there's uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, look. He says, hey, Jesus, I didn't come to be, you know, to, to be served. I came to serve. He's taking the point and he's making it others focused. And again, I said, maybe you didn't want to, maybe you didn't think you were coming to this church. Maybe this church doesn't fit your personality. I laugh, I forgive me, but are we here for the betterment of all? Are we here to serve one another? Are we here to reach the lost for Jesus Christ? If you answer contrary to any of those things, please go to your prayer closet and ask Jesus Christ who he is and who you are. It all goes back to identity. Sons and daughters, not of Matthew, or sons and daughters of put your name, but sons and daughters of the living God. He's the master. Verse 27, we're over time. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, the gift of healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. He then asks, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent gift. No, it doesn't say that in your Bible, does it? I show you a more excellent what? Way. This is important. Right? We're textual critics. Every one of us. We're Bereans here. Right? So let's talk verses 27 through 31 for a minute. The Holy Spirit gives his gifts and callings according to his pleasure. Amen? We all agree on that? Amen? Amen. Verse 27 sums up all of Paul's previous sediments. Verse 28, apostolos, or apostolas, if you prefer, apostles. This word is where we get messengers, sent ones. Some today may use the term for a missionary if they, if they want to equate it to that of the church. Paul, according to the apostolic calling, Paul and the 12 other apostles, right? Who was the, because of Judas Iscariot being disqualified, Matthias took that spot, but these men had unique apostolic authority, which is never going to be repeated again because the foundation of the church has already been established. Where do you read that, Pastor? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 is where I read that. The foundation has been laid. What did they primarily do? They set the apostles' doctrine, and then they gave us the word of God. Is your canon closed? I have a closed canon. My word of God is complete, all 66 books. There's not going to be another book. Revelation says anyone that takes and adds to or takes away from will be what? Anathema, accursed, right? So we have a complete office. We've been given all the writings of the apostles. How do we know that? Acts 2.42 tells us that, that you would follow in the apostles' doctrine, right? And to traditions, the teachings, everything you have in your New Testament Bible. So in that, the office is closed, there is nothing further of that office been done because the foundation has been laid. Now, what I believe this passage is clearly talking about, since it's listed there, it's talking about the spiritual gift of an apostle, right? This is not to be confused with the office, just like a prophecy or a prophet. One can have the gift of prophecy that doesn't make them a prophet, right? You can, if you're a prophet, you definitely have the gift of prophecy. But if you have the gift of prophecy, it doesn't make you necessarily a prophet, Right? When I think of the gift of prophecy as an example today, or the, the, the office of a prophet, Billy Graham. Billy Graham comes to me as a prophet. Maybe Pastor Chuck Smith of the Calvary Chapel Movement, a prophet. 
But I can't think of very many prophets today in that office. John the Baptist was an Old Testament, the last of the Old Testament prophets, right? But when you study scripture, you can find people that have been giving the gift of apostleship. And I have a couple passages for you to go back and read devotionally. So if you've got a pen and paper, I encourage you to write these down or listen back to the recording online. Um, James, I believe, had this gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. Barnabas, Acts chapter 14, verse 4. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Um, Andrachius or Junius, Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Um, possibly Silas, Timothy, and Apollos. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 7. Um, Apollos, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. We, we already read about that. <coughs> I think the latter group, again, Silas, Timothy, and Apollos, they, they had the gift of apostleship, but they were never, never ordained as apostles as the 12 plus Matthias, or Paul, if you prefer. Those who have the gift of apostle, they were to carry the what? The gospel message. They were given God's authority. Um, again, today, when we recognize that, that's really more like a missionary, a sent one, Okay. Next, we read in verse 28, prophets, those that speak forth the word of God. We've already talked about 14 verse, chapter 14, verse 3. A prophecy speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. However, the office of a prophet, while we still may see them today, after all, he wouldn't have told us, therefore, desire, uh, brethren, desire earnestly prophecy, and do not forbid, forbid to speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. It's possible we see the office of a prophet today. But here's a warning. Anybody who declares themselves a prophet probably doesn't hold the office of prophecy because what? Uh, you're, you're, where's the humility, right? There's no humility in that. You're drawing attention. Sort of, if I would have gone to Pastor Chuck Smith and said, you're a prophet, he would have said, get away from me. If I would have gone to Billy Graham and said, Billy Graham, you're a prophet, he would have said, oh, no, oh, no. These men were humble. These men were humble, Right? And the other thing is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. If you're going to claim the office of a prophet, you have to be 100% accurate all the time. Otherwise, you're to be declared a false prophet. Next, you see workers of miracles in your Bibles, those who used by God to do miracles. Yet, we see a biblical pattern that uh, this is done by the Holy Spirit's initiative, not the initiative of the individual. You never see somebody walk and say, I'm going to do this miracle right now. That's, no, it's... The Holy Spirit that initiates that. What about the gifts of helps? I've seen many here that have this gift at this fellowship. This is a, this is a mind of one who helps, obviously, kind of in definition, assists others doing the work of the Lord. Spurgeon broke it down. Again, Spurgeon's not scripture, but it's a good character quality. Spurgeon broke it down into seven different qualities of the man that would come alongside or the woman that would come alongside that had the effective gift. One, a tender heart to really care a quick eye to see the need, a quick foot to get to the needy, a loving face to cheer them and bless them, a firm foot so you will not fall yourself, a strong hand to grip the needy with, and a bent back to reach the man. What you're going to see, right, in someone that's got the gift of helps, they don't draw men unto themselves, very humble. They don't draw women after themselves. Paul makes it plain that all do not have the same spiritual gifts. Did you read that in verses 29 through 31? So what about churches today that turn around and say, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not spirit-filled? Can they say that? No. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No, right? Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No, right? This is what he's showing us here. Doesn't make anybody less spirit-filled. Some denominations or churches try to make a, a big deal of this to the point of, you know, if you don't have this quality or this gift, then you're not spirit-filled. Show me that in Scripture. Don't ever be afraid to ask somebody, please show me that in Scripture. You won't find it. Paul brings it out here. No. They don't all have it. Let the word of God do your talking.
Amen? Well, he says to them, earnestly to desire the best gifts. Right? Though the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, it's expected that we would ask, we would receive in all submission. We come through, and we don't just say, Lord, I need this gift for me, because that would be asking contrary to what? The will of God. We need to be asking for the harmony of the body, right? Because all the cells work together in harmony. The illustration he's already given us. So I'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 13. Look in your Bibles. Remember, in the original manuscripts, there was no break. That wasn't added to AD 900, right? Where we see these breaks. They're helpful today for us to study Scripture. But when you look at it, there is no break that way. So 1 Corinthians 13, what do you have written at the top of your Bible as a heading? The greatest what? Gift. So is it? Is 1 Corinthians 13 a gift? No. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I mean it. We are closing. <laughs> this is important because it's going to set us up for, for next week. You go in your Bibles and you look at Galatians chapter 5, 16. I'm going to look at verse 16 with you and read it to you. I say then, walk in the Spirit. In the what? In the Spirit. In the what? In the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For those for the recording online, I did not make a mistake. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, nor the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revivory, brawling, and alike. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you time in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, but now, right, now we're turning our attention here to the karpos. You see that, the karpos? It says, and now, but the karpos of the Spirit is, what does that say in your Bible? What is the translation for karpos? You have it in your Bibles. Fruit. That's the Greek, the karpos, the fruit. He's saying, he's saying, but now the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, there is no such law. I ask you the question again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is it a gift or is it a karpos? It cannot be both. It's a karpos. It's a fruit. Why does that matter? Why am I making such a big deal about this, the word karpos? Because it has to do with the order. You can have all the gifts or be spirit-filled, but you will end up just like Simon. Why? Because if the heart isn't right, remember we read that earlier on in our teaching? I brought you there. If the heart isn't right, you're not going to manifest the gifts according to the will of God. And he who gives gifts, you may either not receive the gifts, or even if you do have the gifts, you may use them to profit yourself, which is not of the will of God, right? What he draws us back is to love. The whole point of using these gifts is to use the gifts in love, and it's foundational. It's agape. It's unconditional. It's not based on how you feel, how you think, or what's going on at the moment. It's in spite of your circumstances, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor, and the karpos, the fruit of that, will be love, joy, peace, patience. Okay, we get it. That's what derives from it. It's the fruit. That's why Jesus says you can judge them by the leaves. They're all leaves and no fruit. He said that of Israel. Remember that at one point? You're all leaves and no fruit. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say it exactly that way. He says, go and look up at the fig tree. Look at the fruit. The leaves look beautiful. You get up there and what happens? There was no fruit so much that he got upset by that. And what did he do? Cursed then, wizard that fig tree, didn't he? Because it was all leaves and no fruit. No, we're, we're to have carpos. We're to have that fruit. And when we have the fruit in the right heart, guess what? We will pour, God, the Holy Spirit will pour out the gifts and we will use them according, according to his nature. The whole point is that he went back to the source of the character and that character is God. That's what Paul just did in chapter 13. I've heard people say it's like an Oreo. I don't care what you call it. To me, it's, not, it, it's, it's fruit in the middle. A fig Newton, if you prefer. 
I don't know, but it's fruit, karpos, and it's the fruit that holds it all together. It's the gifting, and it's a fruit, man, maybe like jam, I don't know. But that's what it is. When you're spirit-filled without that fruit, it's not going to hold together. And you're going to be just like Simon the sorcerer. And then God says, I've got no part in you in this. I've got no part with you in this. He demonstrated that the gifts would not work contrary to the character and fruit of God. All things done with decency and order. Amen? Amen. Thanks for your time. Let's stand and pray. I went a little over. Thank you for bearing with us as the Lord brought that point out. Go ahead and read ahead on chapter 13. As we look at the karpos, the fruit that holds it all together, go ahead and read through the rest of chapter 13 for next week and probably the first half of chapter 14. And we'll begin to understand how God wants us to behave, how God wants us to have a godly character in this, how we ought to behave with each other. And I just have such an expectation and a hope that as God has equipped us with this understanding and knowledge, that we will behave accordingly according to the commandments, statutes, and judgments of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you haven't been baptized here in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray in a moment. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Don't be shy. Nobody's going to, you know, there's no such thing as slaying. Nobody's going to lay a hand and throw you down on the ground or anything weird like that. You don't have to be worried about that. We do all things with decency and order. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want the gifts of God, to do and serve others, I'm going to invite you to come forward, okay? If you have already been baptized, you'll only be baptized once, but you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm also going to ask you to stay after for a minute. We're all going to hold hands, and we're going to ask for a fresh filling. If you're visiting and you're saying, what are they doing? We're spirit-driven. We do what the Holy Spirit shows us. Father, we come before you right now, Lord. I pray you would draw those up that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God, you would bring them up right now. And Lord, we would lay hands. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would give the gifts that are needed, Lord, for this body and for the body of Christ as a whole all around the world. All the giftings you want to pour out, Lord Jesus, for your will and good pleasure. It's, e- it's you who ple- decides this, you who are pleased and well-pleased in these things. God, we desire to obey. We desire to surrender. Thank you for redeeming the time here this morning with us, Lord. Thank you for pointing us to uh, the straight and narrow path. Lord Jesus, I pray, not only for this church, but for all the churches, Lord, that we do not leave our first love. I pray, God, that you would keep the saints here well-equipped for the calling you've given each and every one of them, for the purpose that you've bestowed them upon them. And that, Lord, each and every one of them are so precious in your sight, for they are sons and daughters of the living God. May we look at each other with your spiritual 2020, Lord. God, may our hearts be surrendered to you alone. Again, enlarge our hearts that we may do only the things that you have desired. May we live our lives according to your plan and purpose. And may you equip us to do so, if it be your will. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen.